Welcome to Life Planning 101, brought to you by Kennedy Financial Services of Eastland. Tune in every Monday morning at 8.30 on KATX and KWBY, and again on Saturday morning at 9 on KATX and KWBY, as Angela Robinson joins Terry Slavens to share important financial information to help you live life on purpose. Insurance, investments, estate and tax planning, and much more. All covered now on Life Planning 101. And a very pleasant good Monday morning, everyone. Welcome into Life Planning 101 right here on KTX KWBY. And we have Angela Kennedy Robinson with us and a special guest on the phone, Angela. Yes, and I tell you what, this to me was kind of like a God thing. I'm so excited about today's show. Uh, we have a very special guest because uh, this gentleman's uh, marketing department had reached out to us. And I read the headline of what this was and I was like immediately intrigued. Obviously, we work with people for years and years and years. And end of life is something that we experience with a lot of the families that we work with. And it's not always a beautiful thing. Um, In fact, it's a lot of times messy, ugly, and families get torn up over it. And it's the last thing that anyone wants to experience is is bad end of life issues, much less that that kind of be the legacy that you leave behind if you think about it from a parent's perspective, right? Or a husband or a a wife or whatnot. And so this came across my desk and this was a doctor that co-wrote a book called Saving Lives, Saving Dignity. And so I started reading the book and I was like, oh, wow, these are all the taboo issues that nobody wants to talk about, but everybody needs to be talking about and they need to be talking about it before it becomes an issue. And so I am totally honored. And I I tell you what, I got to spend some time on the phone uh, with this gentleman last week, and I am so excited that he's going to be part of Life Planning 101 today. Uh, Dr. Alan Mulk from Phoenix, Arizona, co-author of the book, Saving Lives, Saving Dignity. Good morning, Dr. Mulk. Good morning to you, Angela, and thank you for that lovely introduction. And it's... uh, an honor and a pleasure to be on your show today. Well, thank you. And, you know, I I don't know. I think we, we kind of talked about this last week, but hearing your story and hearing, you know, you've spent decades as a physician and an emergency room physician, and you have personal stories. And I think it's amazing to see, you know, a next leg of life, to be able to see somebody's purpose get bigger and bigger. And that's what yours has done. And so I think our listeners need to hear your story, need to hear, you know, why you wrote this book and why it's so heavy on your heart. Well, Andrew, that was a great introduction. I can tell you that um, there's a twofold reason I actually wrote this book. The first reason was very much personal, and it had to do with my beloved late mother's journey who had Alzheimer's, who had Alzheimer's dementia for several years before she passed away. And needless to say, it was a very painful journey. No doubt several people listening to your show have had or may have had a similar experience with a loved one. And for me, it was very much a game changer in viewing how end of life can be, should be, and shouldn't be, um, particularly when someone has endured a great deal of suffering and loss of their dignity. And in addition to the individual who is experiencing a dreadful condition such as Alzheimer's, the impact it has on the loved ones or the family and the impact it had on me. That was the first uh, impetus that had me write the book. And I will tell you, I started actually writing the book before my mother passed away as a 
catharsis in a way to deal with what I was going through. Sure. And I put it down sort of in writing, uh, started to journal it for lack of a better description, uh, for my own personal therapy, so to speak. And that's how the book evolved until I partnered up with my cousin, Dr. Shapiro, who resides in California, who also had similar loss in his life. That, in addition, Angela, to being an emergency physician for 40 years and seeing how so many patients end up in the ER pretty much on a daily basis who are suffering, who may be end of life, who may be at end of life, and where the discussion or the conversation about how to deal with end of life often has, been, has gone by the wayside, has been swept under the rug, so to speak, and how that has had a negative impact on how a dignified and, as you said earlier, a beautiful end of life, unfortunately, is, uh, ends up being a traumatic, unpleasant, and stressful end of life, which could have been prevented by having the conversation about people's wishes. Right. And that pretty much is a summary yeah. as to why I wrote the book. Yeah, you know, it's just amazing. And you read this book and you feel the passion that you and uh, your cousin had writing it. And uh, that's evident. And, you know, I think something that really caught my attention was just seeing how many facets that, you know, somebody suffering goes through as a family, you know, a family, what they go through, whether it's you know, the quality of life itself, but also there's an emotional impact on everybody in a different way. You know, there's an impact on the people that are actually giving care, whether that be a family member or not, you know, the financial considerations. And then, you know, just how all this gets compiled and how it gets so, I hate to say this, but out of control. And so I very much look forward to, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, we're going to ask Dr. Mulk to share a couple stories with us about why this is really important and really what you need to be considering when you're thinking about end-of-life issues. All right, segment two, Life Planning 101. We have lots of great information with Dr. Mulk. Angela? Yes, uh, co-author of the book, Saving Lives, Saving Dignity. And just reading the back here, this is really interesting how they summarize this book. The first is, your mother is seriously ill, and we have to put her on a ventilator to keep her alive. Do you want us to do everything? And of course your answer is yes, I want you to do everything. But do you really understand what that means? And I think that's where... Dr. Mulk, your insight, your expertise, your experiences are invaluable for our listeners to be able to hear your take on this. Well, certainly, Angela. As an emergency physician, and I'm sure many, if not all of your listeners, have some time or another spent time in an emergency room or an emergency department, we as ER doctors, we are wired to save lives. That's what we're trained to do. That's what's in our blood. That's what our adrenaline rush is about when we're going to work. However, especially in the last 20 to 30 years, the face of medicine has changed. We're seeing a lot more people who are being kept alive and who are getting new treatments with um, serious diseases, often potentially fatal diseases, including stage 3 and stage 4 cancer, end-stage emphysema, Lou Gehrig's disease. And there's a fairly lengthy list of diseases that technically have a poor prognosis. These patients do end up in the ER for whatever reason. They either are deteriorating or they have a new problem 
And very often they end up in the ER and I look at the patient and their family and I think to myself, this poor individual is better served in a different setting, a setting that's more humane, a setting that is more appropriate, a setting that is more dignified, where they get more comfort care rather than aggressive care, which is often futile. It does not change the outcome. A really good example would be, and we see this, Angela, all the time. This is a common scenario. An elderly lady in her 90s, she has dementia. She's pretty much bedridden. She has numerous other conditions. She may have had diabetes and had amputations. She may have very little vision from loss of vision from a diabetes, from retinopathy. And she gets brought in, and now she gets pneumonia, and she looks very poorly. You do not need a medical degree to look at this lady to say she looks like she's rapidly going downhill. And this lady is accompanied by her two daughters. And on one side of the bed, the daughter is very anxious. She knows her mother's not doing well. And I explained to both daughters, mom isn't doing well. The only way we're going to keep her going is to put her on a ventilator, to put her on a respirator because her pneumonia is serious. Her oxygen levels are dropping. And then the one daughter says, oh, that's my mother. You need to do everything. We need to keep her going. Mm. I don't want to lose my mother. The other daughter, on the other hand, says, you know what? She told me she would never want to be on a ventilator or be on a respirator or have her life prolonged in a situation like this. Mm -hmm. So now we have a serious disagreement between two siblings. There were no advanced directives, which are very important, and maybe you can, we can emphasize that a little bit on the show, of telling people what their wishes are at end of life. But there were no advanced directives. Fortunately, the daughter who said she really didn't want to be an event later was a power of attorney. And at that point, we were able to have a discussion about what the appropriate thing is to do. But in retrospect, this was a situation that really should have and could have been averted and avoided by the discussion being had ahead of time, rather than having to make split-second decision at a very difficult moment in this woman's life. Exactly. Uh, and that is a constant reminder to me that people really need to have a conversation about their wishes, not to treat it, as you said earlier, as taboo, but to treat it as something that is actually critically important so that dignified end of life and a peaceful death is achieved rather than the scenario I just described. And there are many, many more other scenarios. I just gave you one example. This is a situation really we want to avoid at all costs. Yeah. And you know, the interesting thing about that, we always say, you know, nobody likes talking about these things at the dinner table. But what's that dinner table going to look like after you're gone if those two sisters disagree? And will one be able to forgive the other sister? Will there be good Christmases and Thanksgivings? Yeah, that's a great point, Angela, because also the reason to have a conversation ahead of time is so that there's peace, mm -hmm. so that people can do important things before they pass, like ask for forgiveness, mend broken bridges, heal broken relationships. This is all important stuff that really people should be doing that creates peace, that creates a lot of inner peace and a harmonious and dignified ending, which is really, if you were to pin somebody down, that's really what people would prefer. 
rather than having unfinished business, which I think is what you were alluding to. Yeah, right. And another issue you brought up, I thought this was interesting during our conversation and read a little bit about it in your book as well. But so you go to hospitals. I mean, I've been in this situation too with family members and the doctors want to do everything that they can to save lives, but they, you know, they don't really, really, really talk through what those outcomes might look like on the other side of that, where there's lifelessness, you know, there's no quality of life. And why is that? Why is the common theme just to save lives and not to necessarily help that family talk through what could happen? Angela, that's really a great question. Part of the reason this happens goes back to how we as physicians are wired. We are wired to save lives. Losing a patient is seen by many physicians as a failure, even though we all know in the overall scheme of things, in the big picture, life as we know it on Earth has a beginning, a middle, and an end, whether we like it or not. And we as physicians, many of us fail to see the end of life situation. We see death as the ultimate enemy, and we have to fight it tooth and nail, irrespective of what the patient and family are going through. And often, what the family and patient are going through is indeed immense suffering. So physicians lose sight of that. And fortunately, there is a change in culture happening. There is a new wave of training that has come to be for newer physicians, even in medical schools now, to train physicians to have the conversation because there is a skill set involved in how to do it, how to have this conversation in a dignified, intelligent, professional, and compassionate way so that end-of-life issues can be addressed rather than set aside. Mm. And, you know, and uh, physicians are often part of the problem here. I hate to say that, but the medical community is partly at fault for end-of-life not being there than it should be because of the fact that we... so many of us go to the full court press at all times mm. when, in fact, we need to take a step back and say, you know what, maybe we ought to take a less aggressive and more compassionate approach. And that would include approaches like palliative and hospice care. Right. Do you feel like there's a fear of lawsuits and that could be pushing that physician to be quiet rather than speak up? Another good point there, Angela. I think that does come into play. But I will tell you, that fear of lawsuits in a situation where you are going to consider compassionate care is misguided. Mm. I think it is highly unlikely that a lawsuit is ever going to be won in a situation where the physician is acting in good faith, is acting as an advocate for kindness, for compassion, for limiting suffering, and from taking a path of palliative hospice care, which it isn't always just compassionate, kind care. It's often quality care. It's yeah. often superior care to go that route. And it has been shown that the outcomes, including longevity, going with palliative and hospice care are often better than going with aggressive treatments such as chemo, such as putting people in the ICU, putting people on ventilators, and other aggressive treatments where the patient still ends up dying in a less than ideal and 
humane situation. Yeah, well, I hope you're marketing this book to doctors as well, so as many as you can reach out to. Uh, But when we come back on Life Planning 101, we're going to talk more with Dr. Mulk and talk a little bit about the financial side to all of this. Final segment already, Life Planning 101. Angela? Yes, and boy, 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 if you've missed any part of the show, make sure you go back. Uh, If you're not on our subscription list, go ahead and uh, subscribe at www.kennedy-financial.com. And uh, we are talking to Dr. Alan Mulk, co-author of Saving Lives, Saving Dignity, answering some big questions about end of life. I love your headline back here, your tagline, death is not a question of if but a question of how and when. And uh, one of the most shocking things as I was reading your book was the financial aspect to end-of-life issues. Would you speak to that a little bit? And uh, if I think we've got just a few minutes, we'd love to hear one more story and what you'd want to close out with, Dr. Mulk. Yeah, well, certainly not a problem. Uh, there is no question that we in medicine, especially when we talk about people like myself, you know, I'm going to be 70 myself later this year. I'm part of the baby boomers. The financial impact slash burden that baby boomers are going to have and already having on healthcare is mind-boggling, to say the least. There have been studies that have come out, and these are well, well-documented studies, that something around 30% of the healthcare dollars in Medicare are spent in the last few months of life. When it has already been recognized that somebody is end of life or has a terminal condition, be it stage four cancer, be it advanced congestive heart failure, be it severe emphysema, be it um, severe neurological diseases like MS and ALS, during these last few months of life, we treat these patients aggressively. And aggressive care is costly care. Uh, mind-boggling costly care. And we almost, I think, have an obligation as baby boomers to look at this because I can tell you people have already been talking about how we are technically going over the fiscal cliff in healthcare, <laughs> and that it is not sustainable in the long run. We owe it to our children and our grandchildren not to leave them with this mess. So the impact of For example, admitting somebody who comes to the ER with pneumonia who is end of life, put him on a ventilator and put him in the ICU, is these are sky-high dollars we're talking about, as opposed to taking the approach of comfort care, which is going to end up with a similar or even better outcome. The dollar difference is astronomical. And this is just, again, one example of how we need to take a look at what are we doing? What are we doing with aggressive chemotherapy in stage four cancer? And I realize we are looking at curing cancer. I get that. But what about somebody who's truly terminal, who's got metastatic disease throughout their whole body? We keep these people going. Right. And maybe we need to have a conversation. The oncologists need to have a conversation about let's go the route of hospice care so that the suffering is ameliorated. And again, the co- talking about the cost, that is, we could talk about that for hours, <laughs> but we, we need to address that, and we cannot turn a blind eye to that any longer. 
because of what is current the route the way we're heading. Yeah, and you know it's so sad that that path is you know just hearing you talk throughout the show the path has gone the, the other way and it's nice to hear that it's actually maybe coming back some um, and the education is there. It's kind of like financial literacy. People need to be able to have end of life literacy and uh, you're doing that, Doctor Mulk. So thank you for your right. efforts. Thank you for your passion. God bless you for the great work that you're doing because I do know that it is changing people's lives and changing people's families. So that's wonderful. Is there any last words that you'd like to leave our listeners with or a quick story? I know we've got just a couple minutes. Well, what really prompted me to write this is what I call the crystal ball epiphany that I have of my own mother. And this is where it gets very personal. Towards the end of her life, about three or four months before she passed away, she was reduced at that point from a five years earlier from being a delightful, fun, bright, active lady filled with vitality, reduced to someone who was sitting in a chair, incontinent, staring into space, not recognizing me, and holding her hand, looking at her. I had this what I call crystal ball epiphany. I thought to myself, what if I had a crystal ball and five years earlier, I showed my mother this crystal ball and said to her mom, look at the crystal ball. This is what you're going to look like five years from now. What would she have said? How would she have responded? And it was a no-brainer. She would have said, oh, dear God, no. I don't want that to ever happen to me. If it does, push me over a cliff. Something (laughs) along those lines is what she would have said. So the bottom line is, None of us want to be stripped of our dignity, but it happens. None of us want to be a burden on others, but it happens. But if we are faced with that, we need to understand that could happen and that we need to come up with some kind of advanced directive, some kind of discussion with our family, with our physician, with our spiritual leader, with our pastor about how we want to handle end of life so that we feel that our end of life isn't stripped of dignity, but in fact is peaceful and dignified and where we don't leave our loved ones with, for example, PTSD. Yes. Well, thank you, Dr. Mulk. Saving Lives, Saving Dignity. I know you can find that on Amazon.com. And um, we are just so, so honored to have you on our show. And I know all of our listeners will greatly benefit from this if they take it to heart. Our suggestion, read the book gain some clarity about your wishes, get those legal documents in place that you need, make that plan and make it peaceful for you and your family. Leave those good Christmases and Thanksgivings we're always talking about. My name is Angela Robinson with Kennedy Financial Services here in the great town of Eastland, Texas. God bless everyone. Have a great week and we hope to have you next week on Life Planning 101. Thank you for joining us for Life Planning 101, brought to you by Kennedy Financial Services of Eastland. Tune in every Monday morning at 8.30 on KATX and KWBY, and again on Saturday morning at 9 o'clock on KATX and KWBY for more Life Planning 101. Advisory services offered through Smart Money Group, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Securities offered through Kaltman Associates Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC. Kennedy Financial Services Incorporated is an independent of Kaltman and Associates Incorporated and Smart Money Group LLC.